I'm coming to you today from Atlanta, Georgia. I got to meet with my friend Bill this morning. Hello, Bill. I got to meet with my friend Jonathan this morning. Hello, Jonathan. But especially I'm here, I'm sitting in the backyard of my friend Chuck, and we have been friends since we were uh, at least 15 years old, and I'm here to celebrate with him uh, because he is, today is actually kind of his first day of retirement. He is retiring after many, many decades of practice as a doctor. Among other things, Chuck is the funniest, goofiest guy I know. Not always a great quality in a brain surgeon. So it's probably good that he didn't become a brain surgeon. He's been in family practice and um, used in the healing of many, many people, not least of all is me. And I'm sitting in his backyard in a place of many deep and wonderful conversations of healing. And I get to talk to you today. And today I want to spend a few minutes talking about the difference between what is required versus whatever it takes. Asking, particularly around spiritual life following Jesus, what am I supposed to do? What's required? As opposed to having a mindset that says, whatever it takes. And this gets to a problem that we often have around that little acronym VIMP, Vision, Intention, Method, for the most important challenge of your life, which is the person that you are becoming with God's help. So here's what Dallas writes. This is page 249. Sometimes the way towards transformation is blocked, even among people who have genuinely become apprentices of Jesus and have good intentions. They are not capable of receiving truth. Their body, soul, feelings, thoughts, and social atmosphere are in such turmoil or so badly inclined that their minds cannot be reached just by periods of teaching. They cannot be significantly helped by quote-unquote regular church services. And then he talks about what might be needed. They may need ministries of deliverance, drawn from the healing God in our midst that must be provided, or they may need to be taken out of their ordinary routine, given lengthy periods of time and retreat under careful direction. And then this amazing sentence, we must be spirit-led, Bible-informed, intelligent, experimental, and persistent. Say that again, spirit-led, Bible-informed, intelligent, experimental, and persistent. The Christian past holds a huge store of information on spiritual formation. It is a treasure, a God deposit in Christ's people. We must take the trouble to know it. And... Uh, own it in ways suitable to today. We should never forget that this sort of intensive training away from ordinary life is exactly what Jesus did in the spiritual formation of the selected few were to be, who were to be his shock troops. Only after three years of special training away from their ordinary life were they led through his death and resurrection to the upper room and the endowment with power from on high. We well might ask ourselves, what have we actually gone through in the process of spiritual formation? And then this statement, we must flatly say that one of the greatest contemporary barriers to meaningful spiritual formation in Christ-likeness is overconfidence in the spiritual efficacy of regular church services. Whatever kind they may be, 
though they are vital, they are not enough. It is that simple. Um, and then he goes on. Individuals and local congregations of disciples must discover and effectively implement whatever is required to bring about the inner transformation of those who have really become apprentices of Jesus and really do gather in immersion in the Trinitarian presence. We must flatly say, he says, a great problem is our overconfidence. If I just go to church, then that will get it done. And instead, the mindset that is required is we must discover and effectively implement whatever is needed, whatever it takes. So those are the two distinctions. And we all know what it's like to be the kind of person to be around somebody who's just going through a checklist of what is required of me. I remember a situation once when I was working at a church where we needed a really effective, motivated volunteer for, to play a certain function, and they were not there. And the staff persons whose job it was to procure that volunteer responded by simply saying, well, I left a uh, message on their voicemail. And just leading, uh, leaving a message on a voicemail is not the same thing as saying, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that we have the right person in the right role so that they can do what needs to get done. When it comes to paying taxes, generally, we don't have a whatever-it-takes mindset. We don't, we don't go to the government and say, I know we got this national debt problem, and I just want to know, what's it going to take to get over it? We actually pay people to help us figure out what is required and actually get the bar on whatever is required as low as it could possibly legally and perhaps ethically to be so that we don't pay any more. We don't want to pay whatever it takes. We just want to pay whatever it is required. I think the difference is um, when we're acting out of love. I was at Westgate Church recently and the pastor Jay Kim gave a wonderful message and when he's talking about the math that we do when we're just uh, strategically self-informed as opposed to what we do when we are acting out of love. And he talked about a woman, her name is Lydia. Uh, she lives in the northern regions of Quebec in Canada. She was walking through their kind of rural town with her seven-year-old son and two of his friends when one of them yelled and she looked to see what was going on and there was a polar bear, 700-pound polar bear. Lydia is five feet nothing, weighs like 90 pounds soaking wet. And she made her son and the other boys run and she fought a 700-pound polar bear. Started shouting, I'm not making this up. She got a Medal of Honor for this, Medal of Courage. Began kicking it. The bear got on top of her. A neighbor came running and fired three warning shots. And then the bear looked the neighbor in the eye, and the bear um, was uh, neutralized by the neighbor. This woman did not pause to say, now, what would be required of a, an adult in a situation like this? 700-pound polar bear. What could I do that's on the checklist so that if I get in trouble with anybody, I can say, I did what could be reasonably expected of a, of a, of a mom, of a human being. No, this is just love. 90 pound, five feet, take on a 700 foot bullet, you bet, because I got to save my child. And um, when we are gripped by love for God and for the people around us, then the question becomes not just, 
what am I supposed to do today? But what will it take for me to experience transformation? There's a very powerful passage in the big book of AA where the possibility of sobriety as opposed to uh, nothing but addiction, hell, and death lies before someone. And what the text says there is, we stood at a crossroads. Half measures availed us nothing. The question at that point is, um, whatever it takes to become sober. Admit that uh, I was uh, utterly dependent, that my life was a mess, that I was powerless, that my life had become unmanageable. Uh-huh. Come to believe a power greater than myself. Uh-huh. Make the decision to turn my life and will over and surrender. Uh-huh. Do a fearless and searching moral limit. Whatever it takes. So the question today is not what's required. When I was growing up, often I would have kind of a what's required checklist. I'm supposed to do a quiet time every day, supposed to read my Bible, supposed to pray. Well, you know, I guess I'll do that. How long does it have to be? As opposed to, no, a life of surrender and the presence of God and becoming the person that God meant me to be, and living not under my own power, but under His power, is available to me. And the way that I pursue it is to become a follower of Jesus. So, maybe like when it becomes, when it comes to generosity. Kind of a funny thing. Working as a pastor for many years, I would often teach about tithing, giving 10% to God's work. You want to guess what the number one question is people would raise when it came to tithing? Do I have to tithe on the gross or on the net? Well, if the goal is to become a generous person, and I promise you, when you get to the end of your life, you are not going to hope that what people will say about you is, she accumulated a lot of money. He amassed a ton of wealth. Really cool house. Wonderful wardrobe. It will be that I become a generous person. Then the question is not just um, what's required. That was the rich young ruler. When he comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's on the checklist? What do I got to do? And Jesus says, just, you're just lacking one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. It's about becoming a generous person. So for me today, now this is Vim. Do I have a vision for that life? The, the great prophetic statement from Micah. He has told you, O human being, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before our God. There is still no greater opportunity offered to the human race. That is not the requirements of a checklist. That is a life that is meaningful and full of purpose. And so to do that, God, what does it take? Not just going to church once a week. Not just crossing have an acquired time off the list from one moment to the next from one moment to the next god what can i do today now that i have this vision of a glorious life together with you that sin and death itself cannot separate me from what can i do to become a generous joyful genuinely loving person that's my heart help me to do that today help me to find that today god lead me to the methods of worship and learning and surrender and whatever it is, generosity, volunteering, giving, cross-cultural, celebrating, gratitude, lead me to that so I can live that kind of life. Not what's required today, but whatever it takes. Guard your heart. See you next time.